Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsperts.ie. And together we are the Raw Pet Medics. Good evening. Welcome back. RPM are still with you. Um, our um, missing prodigal son is off sunning himself somewhere in the Red Sea. Um, yes. I'm not sure what quality of the water is right now, but that's a joke between me and Connor. We're looking forward to uh, giving you some gems of information tonight. Um, so, Guys, um, we hope you're all going to enjoy tonight. Lots of information, maybe a bit more clinical tonight uh, than necessarily nutrition. And before we start on laryngeal paralysis, uh, we are at actium.com forward slash raw pet medics. We've got all the Nick's holidays pictures and we'll pop them up there at the end of the show. So uh, get in your patronage now so you can see that. I don't know if that's good for business or bad. So um, but listen, before we talk about this uh, particular subject, I just want to touch on something. Uh, it yeah. was about... Um, uh, uh, a veterinary clinic over in the US and they had written on the bottom as a general intake sheet for dogs and at the bottom they said there's going to be a 25 book surcharge for a raw fed dog and look the safety would be on the side of raw in my opinion although supported by the, the data that we have but like have you what's your opinion on that what do you think about a surcharge as a guy who ran an extremely busy veterinary clinic what, like, what about that you know what I looked at this and think if you're managing an inpatient in a hospital situation, surely, surely to God, you're going to be doing that in a clinical manner with gloves, you know, some PPE of some description so that you don't get covered in all sorts of stuff and then move to the next patient and handle them with the same sort of all over you. Yeah. I, I am gobsmacked that anybody is putting a surcharge on top of that for an individual raw, because you know, if they're handling inpatients properly, you'd think yeah. that they're going to be sterile between. You know, yeah. so, uh, I do not see any kennels of worth with people with drinks and food, and you know, doing you know, just happen to be sitting down amongst the patients while they're eating their lunch. Uh, that is not what modern veterinary medicine is about, yeah. and you know, realistically. Them talking about putting surcharges on for that sort of stuff is, yeah, it, it smacks a little bit of just trying to make a bit of extra money from yeah, possibly, and that's yeah. not fair. Possibly industry-owned. I mean, Mars have 2,000 uh, veterinary hospitals, more than 50,000 vets on the payroll, or they own all the diagnostics. So you could easily have a clinic that is perhaps Mars-owned, uh, very close to uh, getting in trouble. But um, <laughs> so there's uh, two or three people that are probably be on here tonight and they said this actually happened in the in the UK as well. And um, so back in the day, there was um, words from on high to say to segregate raw fed dogs. Did that, did that ever come into practice? Yes, there were certain veterinary colleges, okay, you know, the universities that train vets, that had some of their professors getting a little bit antsy about people feeding raw for no particular reason other than pure bias. Hey, presto, 
their departments were being you know provided for by some of those well-known brands of uh, food uh, that aren't fresh therefore you know it, it sort of did smack a little bit of yeah, who's put you up to this? You know, where's your science? You're actually just doing it from an, uh, a personal bias rather yeah. than um, yeah. any evidence out there. And we're still yeah. battling that, you know, this proposed possibility of a faintest thing. And if you want to know more about that, if you look back to February's uh, podcast, you'll see us talking on, harping on about bacteria and, and that side of things, because you know, at the moment, it just seems to be absolute bunkum that we're getting, yeah. you know, a, a storm about. Uh, and, you know, we're still not seeing the evidence. There's, there's still too many papers out there propositioning that this is how they perceive um, yeah. that sort of infection we've got. And as Connor beautifully said on that night, you know, far more um, food poisonings come from raw carrots than probably come from any sort of meat. Uh, so yeah. I think we need to be really taking it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, Nikki Kamek study there from uh, from New Jersey and uh, Helsinki study, 16,000 people part of that study. I mean, incredibly safe was the response. I mean, if you tested a household, asking about food poisoning incidents in the household, the figures would be way higher. One in seven Americans are getting food poisoning. Uh, you know, enormous amounts of reporting to hospital with salmonella from the food they're eating. Is this a reason not to eat fresh food? Oh, anyway, look, we've killed that point a number of times. We should we get straight into uh, laryngeal paralysis? Who wants to? I think, Brent, do you want to tell us a little bit about laryngeal paralysis? What is it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me what it is. Okay. So, um, look, you know, as we named it tonight, you know, it's a little bit of uh, cough, flutter, and choke. Um, this is really for those people that have had uh, a pet, maybe cat or dog, um, that has probably um, suffered a chronic cough with no temperature, no particular sort of um, chest issues, um, seems to come from the upper respiratory area. So we're talking uh, around the throat, but there's no soreness of the throat. And as I say, no temperature. They're not down in the dumps particularly, uh, but they come in with this, this change in cough. Sometimes until the vets actually ask the question, people don't always see actually, yes, the bark has changed or the meow has gone, okay? Uh, and they do more of a silent like that. A little bit of a squeak, okay? Or the, the bark has gone from a deep roof to a more of a sort of noise. Um, and those are sort of like alarm bell signs that actually there is something else that could be going on. And that can happen definitely in uh, cats, but also most commonly in dogs. And there are certain breeds, certainly the Labradors, the Retrievers, quite a few of the larger breeds, and we're going to talk about why that might be uh, soon, um, that, that will get this problem later in life. So, you know, especially if we're seeing a dog around 10 years old uh, and we start to get that, then that's something to look at. Another sort of um, area that sort of crops to mind, the dog rolls on its back, okay? and is you know, playing around, and then all of a sudden it gets this and, and choke, okay? That can often be just because of the saliva and the stuff going down, but they can't stop it going down the airway, so they actually do a whole hack cough to try oh. and get it out, okay? Oh, and wow. sometimes quite an ineffectual cough, you know? It'll be, they'll make a right deal of it because they just can't snap 
that larynx yeah. shut and then produce the pressure to then cough it out. Yeah. Okay. I hear I hear a lot about I hear a lot just to kill this off straight away. I, I heard there's different grades of this. So it can be you can have like a, a you know, level one, two, three, four. And uh, what about mega esophagus? Is that the same disease as laryngeal paralysis? Is that like level five laryngeal paralysis where the thing is just a straight shoot down and this is is that what mega esophagus is? Okay, so mega esophagus is really paresis and paralysis of the food pipe going through the chest. So you're building up food within the food pipe. Okay, paresis is a weakness. So you talked about grading, okay? So we can have a weakness in that nerve, but it's not communicating correctly through to whatever um, area. So the esophagus in the in megaesophagus, uh, which is the food pipe, or the larynx in you know the, the laryngeal paresis. The vocal cords can still move; they just can't do it as well as they were. So it's uh, it's not fully paralyzed. They're still doing something uh, to move it. But ultimately, that can become something where it just becomes totally flaccid. Okay. And I have a second question. Why is it that this disease is often related to weakness in the hind limbs and a bit of neuropathy and that kind of stuff? What's the link between those two things? Okay. So really interesting. Uh, and this comes back to why I think the primary cause is trauma, usually from um, an inappropriate accident on the lead. So that could be... Um, you know, yes, there are lots of other traumas. You know, surgery to the neck, um, you know, hitting a tree at speed, um, you know, because there's some dog, staff dogs out there that do that, um, or even hitting the owner's leg just behind the knee at speed um, could be one of them. Uh, but, you know, hit, being hit by another dog. But we all know, we've all seen those people out there on the park where the dog has hurtled off on an um, extendable lead and it's come to the end of the lead. Before you know it, the owner does not let go of that lead. They hold on to it, and the dog goes like that. Or those unfortunate um, trainers or, or owners that have been taught to train by using a check chain, okay? So a check chain or a pronged collar, not, not something that's legal in the UK, but certainly uh, we do see pronged collars um, around the world, especially in the US and Canada. Um, they are something that's there, and they are taught to do that as a sudden, you know, check them from moving forward. Not supposed to be a choke chain of actually holding onto it and throttling them, but a check yeah. chain, which is a smart. You know, what choke. about the what about the slip lead that the breeders use? That um, I say breeders in shows. I'm not picking on the breeders here. The slip lead just goes up underneath the chin. Do you know? Yeah. So you see, the, yeah, you see the sort of gun dog, but they often taught those dogs to walk the heel appropriately. Oh. And I would always say, you know, for me, and you're a behaviorist, uh, and you've had some, you know, uh, influence on uh, training organizations in the past. And I would just say, you know, my personal uh, feeling um, is that if you're training a dog to heel, then as soon as the dog gets in front of you, you change direction. They very quickly will follow you, okay? Um, you know, rather than allowing them to pull. Um, and actually, all I need to do is put my foot down hard now on the ground, um, and my spaniel immediately knows that I'm probably going to change direction and comes back to heel. So I don't even need to change direction. It literally yeah. is just that slap on the tarmac with my foot, and she's back. So she's are, are, are you talking about damage to the neck? Because when I asked about neuropathy, are you talking about damages to the nerves now? 
Now, the, the interesting thing is if you think of the uh, spinal cord, okay, the vertebrae, uh, like this, okay, and above that is the, the, the actual bit that holds the cord, and below is the vertebral bodies, and nerves come out here, okay, either side. The nerves that feed the back leg are actually running along the bottom of the spine. If there's any damage to any of the discs within this area, not only does those discs impinge the nerves coming out in the neck that can affect around the lower neck area into that larynx, and it's the recurrent laryngeal that comes out and back up the neck, okay? Also, what can happen is that the bulging disc can impinge on the nerves that feed through the back legs. So it could still be a physical trauma that is leading to those sort of neuropathy. There is something really interesting that we touched on before the show, which is also about the um, issues of some of the toxins, some of the neurotoxins that we can find in some foods. The aflatoxins, for instance, can affect the nerves, so they could cause general neuropathies. Uh, and we talk about that in, we've got a really great study, the, the thing about the megrosophagus um, yeah. uh, and those, those things. But the, you know, it, it could be that that is also an influence. But I would expect yeah. raw food feeders should not experience it at all if it was all yeah. down to that. Yeah. So, but listen to this. Listen to the prevalence of laryngeal uh, paralysis in dogs. Much like pancreatitis, when you look under the hood, you find an awful lot of it. Two thirds of cats and dogs with some degree of it by mid-age. Listen to this about uh, laryngeal paralysis. This is the results of studies of 250 uh, otherwise non-laryngeal paralysis dogs who turned up on the veterinary table, and they had a look at them. 25% of the dogs examined had some degree of laryngeal uh, paralysis. Affected dogs were or paralysis. Affected dogs were significantly older than uh, unaffected dogs. The increase in age, no difference between sexes. Um, overweight animals had a significantly higher grade than those with a normal conditional score. Labs, rock boilers, etc. I just thought, wow, when they look, there's an awful lot of this going on, which kind of does reinforce um, the, the physical kind of trauma, physical damage bit of it, or some other common factor across all these breeds. Um, and, and some of those breeds, interestingly, um, you can get those that are predisposed to wobbler's syndrome. And that's where those parts of the vertebrae that are down at that end of the neck aren't actually in line. They actually have a slight kink uh, in the uh, vertical space, which means that there's an impingement on those nerves. Now we call them wobblers because usually they back leg wobble, but actually all of the nerve outflows will also be affected. So that's why some of those, like the setters particularly, uh, can also be affected with this. Yeah. Something that's interesting, I've seen a few people talk about their dogs being in for operations and had some issues. And there is some damage that can occur inadvertently from the cuffs of tube being blown up too high. So they, you know, effectively it can cause some irritation and inflammation and then resultant collapse of the cartilage um, in the throat. And that can give a very similar appearance. And quite a lot of um, short brachycephalic um, dogs, so that's short-nosed dogs, uh, like the pugs, etc. Um, can, and, and there's another, the Norfolk Terrier is a, a classic um, that can suffer from a laptrochea, a long um, soft palate, and actually a weakness in the cartilages around here. So there's a little bit of things of working out whether it's primary paresis or paralysis, 
or a secondary due to other pathology that's going on in that area. What about other treatments? So, like, um, you know, first of all, is there any drugs or natural treatments that can ease uh, these guys' sufferings? And the second one is chiropractic acupuncture. What about those two? If it's a nerve thing, why wouldn't a little thought of that? I remember and, speaking and, to a, a type of chiropractor, I can't remember who called himself, but uh, he was saying that uh, we carry these traumas for years before the actual disease will manifest from the whatever issue. So he says, take, for example, a difficult birth. A baby can go through a very difficult birth and be left with a few kinks here and there. You can be, you play sports like a lunatic when you're like six, seven, eight, 10, 15 years old, just getting into rugby and that kind of things. You take terrible hits, but you get over because your body's so malleable. But you carry that kink for ages and you're, you're, your muscles are able to hold your spine straight. But as you get older, things just start to go, oh, I can't hold this anymore. And suddenly issues of recurring ear conditions in babies, recurring gastro issues in babies later on in life. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that can be traced back. And he goes, let's start with other damage, he said, but getting them really young. So all his, when you're in, in his clinic and, and getting a bit of treatment, uh, zero to 15 year olds can walk in for free treatment. And they'll just lie up in the bed and he'll just go in five or 10 minutes because he's so obsessed about getting it right. And he said, I don't need to see them again. We pay all his bills because we need to see him all the time. I don't personally, it was just after a couple of things. But, um, but yeah, the kids, he says, oh, you just, you won't see them again now. He says, get them early and just fix us and then that's it and they're gone. I know nothing about this end of things, but I had faith in it when he told me that and he was such a good guy. I just thought, wow, that's... There are a couple of things there. You know, I, I always group acupuncture, chiropractic, osteopathy, uh, myofascial release. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. uh, myofascial release is, is slightly different again. And actually, yeah, there's some cupping stuff that can be done, which is actually strange. It's not pressure in it. It's taking and releasing um, uh, the skin from the underlying fascia uh, and yeah, all sorts of benefits there. But you can, if you're ever worried about acupuncture and placing needles in your dog, you might think they're needle shy. You know, there are options with uh, laser therapy. Um, there's lots of people with K-lasers now. I see somebody's mentioned about red light therapy. Um, you know, certainly I tend to find that red light therapy gives a shorter relief for some of those issues, but they're not sort of as long-lived as some of the laser would give. But certainly uh, moving on to acupuncture, I think, is, is there. But lots of options in those. There are some herbs and things like that. John's work, um, we know for, you know, keeping ourselves from getting depressed, it has some yeah. other neurological um, effects. Um, that's also found in, in remedies like hypericum um, is made from that. Okay, so uh, understanding... Um, the use of hypericum. Lathyrus is also uh, one that's used uh, for uh, that, that sort of uh, laryngeal paresis and, and singular muscular sort of paralysis areas as well. So it can, you know, if you've got certain muscle groups that have thinned down uh, for no other apparent reason, you know, it can be really useful. So there are some things out there. Um, is, there no, is there no drugs? I saw there was a new one that came out and uh, the doxepin or whatever it was called, but the latest study was uh, no, not very effective. Uh, but is there not like uh, things that can help? There's like anti-inflammatories and whatnot. Uh, no, what most, most people will use an anti-inflammatory. They'll try and just affect what's going on uh, for any nerve outflows, so any impingement that may be aggravated by inflammation. Uh, they may use uh, those. They even give steroids. Uh, obviously, there are very occasional ones that may be down to immune-mediated disease, which is attacking those nerves and causing the polyneuropathy. Um, but again, uh, I think there's limited effect in, in many of these cases uh, for those anti-inflammatories uh, of any description. So 
Uh, I think one thing that I uh, think is really important as we're getting you know, you know sort of close to uh, to our time is one of the reasons I mentioned about summer is coming and this is a really important condition for this is uh, exactly how the airflow is affected and therefore the dog's ability to cool themselves down is affected by this condition. Okay, mm -hmm. as soon as you get one side. Um, you know, either tied back, as in Karen's, uh, you know, uh, dog with Newton, or, or you've got just the paresis going on, and you've got a flaccid um, vocal cord flapping away. It diverts the airstream away from going directly over the tongue, okay, uh, to going off to one side, yeah. and therefore they're not as efficient yeah. at cooling themselves down. So please, please, guys, remember, walk your dog early in the morning, or late at night, you know, don't walk them in the, the heat of the day. Number of dogs that come in with laryngeal paresis or laryngeal issues, so the bulldogs, et cetera, that cannot breathe properly over their tongues that will come in with heat stroke in the oh, summertime. Because people insist on going out in the middle of the day, have a picnic, take the dog, let it run yeah. around like a lunatic, and before you know it, they're in with heat stroke. Yeah. Somebody somebody posted up there a slippery elm for the the acid reflux, I'd actually reach for German chamomile because the studies behind that and it shows it absolutely works. Uh, we've got decent kind of um, response for acid reflux from using German chamomile. So that would be my definite go-to, but I can't help but think that the, the um, in line with what we started off with, which is the surcharge for all fed uh, vets in, in clinic, I can't help but worry that a conventional vet would never recommend uh, you know, fresh food for a dog with laryngeal paralysis because the thinking would be this food is so nuclear toxic that if it was to go down into the lungs, well, bloody hell, you're, you're going to kill them stone dead. Bloody hell, there's things on kill you do not want in your lungs. Mycotoxins being the number one. I mean, it's rife because it's a cereal-based product, you know. Did you ever do this operation, Bren? I mean, it must be terrifying the first time you have to do a dog's, you know, um, I can't get the word out, I was going to say voice box, but like get in at those bits and pieces and like, how do you even practice that? Because have you done this operation? Is it scary to do? Yeah, that was it, is, it is very scary to do, you oh, know, yeah. um, but it oh, is. Um, and, you know, it's just as I think somebody earlier mentioned, you know, some of the, the cases uh, where you're dealing with, you know, long soft palates and laryngeal collapse and trying to deal with those brachycephalic. Um, and, you know, you have to be on it for their recovery because, you know, they, they can get edema, that's inflammation following the, uh, the surgery. Um, so, you know, some of these actually have to have, um, you know, an extra tube placed in through mm -hmm. the trachea so that they can bypass the larynx whilst everything calms down. Um, uh, there are a lot of surgeons now that don't like to do that or don't want to keep them in or don't have the facilities to keep them in um, uh, overnight, and therefore they will try them at home. And it's, it's looking at the appropriate practice that can now you know, keep an eye on them for sometimes even two to three days post-surgery to make sure that they've made a full recovery, that all the inflammation has gone down um, and that they can cope um, back in their home environment. Um, an awful lot of this disease that we're seeing in dogs is idiopathic. They can't pin it down. When they look and see, is it, is it uh, most of them do believe that there's a physical trauma is definitely a major factor, but they can't pin it down and, and they test it. Uh, the people at the top that are looking at this all the time, you shared me with, with me, the brilliant um, scientist, I uh, can't remember the lady's name, but she's, she knows more about this than anybody. She can't give us a definite answer of all the causes of this 
I just want to direct people to this TED Talk. Check it out on YouTube. It's called, I did my research, blew the whistle, and found myself at war. Okay? I did my research, blew the whistle, and found myself at war. Check out that TED Talk on uh, YouTube, and you tell me what, um, what after that. It's, it's very, very interesting. It's about Megasophicus and dogs and what one vet tried to um, tell the world about and the cause of it and you won't be surprised what it is because it's mine and I'm happy but, uh, but uh, I believe there's something there because why it was kicking off the nerves in this instance uh, and they don't know why it's happening here but although Fred has made a very very good case for uh, physical trauma damage nerves and whatnot and I'm totally convinced as I always am Brent when I don't know something and I come into one of these things you always do the job. <laughs> takes a while though takes the 45 minutes so uh, yeah we'll do is just convince Connor every week and then I'm, yeah. I'm made what up. am I going to what <laughs> I want to, I want to learn about next week wormholes uh, like I think quantum physics uh, that's what we're doing next week yeah listen uh, oh. much, I've got a dash I've got a I've got yeah, a yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if any of you want to see pictures of Nick's holiday uh, then speak to Connor uh, because I'm away know. in May and I don't so, <laughs> so that's you, Connor. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make money out of it somehow. I'll make you get back anyway, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>